coming up. You know, I was sitting right there behind Billy Shamirmir all that time, and you could feel evil there and see the terrible things that he's done, and it was all just parts of it brought to life, and there's much more to come. For Vault Studios, I'm Will Johnson. You're listening to The Daily Crime. An alleged serial killer accused of preying on elderly women in Texas was convicted and sentenced in a Dallas courtroom just last week. My name is Ellen French House, and my mother was Norma Wilson French. She was murdered by Billy Chimurmer on October 8th, 2016. Murder is a journey. This trial was just a check mark along that journey. It's a long journey. It will be a lifelong journey for all of us. This was just another bump in the road bring on the next one. It's a terrible tra- it was a terrible tragedy for all these these people up here that have their their mothers uh, slain. I'm joined by Rebecca Lopez, a WFAA senior criminal justice reporter. Rebecca, thanks for talking about this case with us. Absolutely. So, this goes back and there's a lot to it, but this recent decision has to do with the murder of, of one woman, and I want to talk about why just one case w- was brought to jurors. But tell us about this trial, and tell us about Billy Shamirmir and what we know about him. So Billy Shamirmir is actually accused in the murders of 18 women. He's actually been indicted for those cases. But um, the strongest, one of the strongest cases that they believe they had was the case of Lou Harris, which he was tried on uh, or tried for here in Dallas County because um, they actually had uh, evidence and eyewitnesses and uh, surveillance video that they felt like they could, you know, link to him. A lot of it was circumstantial evidence. But in this particular case, they not only um, brought that to the jury, they also brought a uh, two other cases of women, one that survived, uh, and they had taped her uh, interview that the jury got to hear, and then another one that uh, was murdered. And so they brought those two cases as well and presented them to the jury, but they presented the cases that they felt were the strongest ones and tried him for Lou Harris's because they felt like they could get a conviction. Lou Harris was 81 years old in 2018 when when Billy Shamirmir attacked her inside her home, right? Yes, and so the way that they found out that she had been killed uh, is that Billy Shamirmir um, was spotted at a place in uh, Plano, Texas, where it was a, um, a independent living facility, and a man spotted what he thought was suspicious behavior by someone that was driving a vehicle around in that area, and there had been an attack um, of a woman just prior to that, like a couple of days prior to that. And so he just thought it was kind of suspicious. He jotted down the license plate and gave it to Plano PD, who knew that they were starting to see a pattern of women that were being attacked in Collin County. So they started following Billy Shamirmir, um, and they followed him to his home in apartment complex in Dallas. And at that time, the detectives that were following him saw him throw a... Um, a box, a jewelry box into a dumpster. When they retrieved that jewelry box, they realized that inside was the name of uh, Lou Harris and her address. So they asked Dallas police, hey, go check this out. They went over there. Uh, you know, we need a welfare check. You know, we've been following this guy because we believe that he attacked 
some other women in Collin County. And now, you know, we've come up with this jewelry box that we just saw him throw into this dumpster. So when they went over there to look, uh, to check on Lou Harris, they found that she had, that she was dead and there was a pillow with her lipstick on it that was right next to her. And they determined she'd been smothered and her jewelry was stolen. Well, shortly after that, they were able to determine that Billy Shamirmir on that same day had sold her jewelry on uh, offer up and they were able to recover a very unique uh, piece of jewelry that she had so that's how they they linked him and then they took his cell phone records and found that you know he'd been in that area and then they pulled surveillance video of the victim from that day at a Walmart where she'd been shopping and there was Billy Shamir Mir right next to her and he had done that in a couple of other cases that they were able to prove of other women that ended up being attacked and you mentioned indicted. So, so, and we'll talk more about this specific case, the trial and the verdict, but I want to talk about these other cases. I mean, he's been indicted on then at least 17 other cases. Were those all murder cases? And how far did they go back? Yes, they're all murder cases. I believe they go all the way back to 2016. Um, look, my sources, though, who investigated this case have told me that they believe that there are many, many other victims, but they just were not able to link him directly to some of the women that died of what initially they thought were suspicious, were natural causes, because it's very hard, they said, to prove that someone has been suffocated. Um, and so initially, when they didn't realize that that there was no like jewelry or they didn't know that there was jewelry missing. They just knew that these ladies had died and they were elderly. They ruled them natural causes. But when they caught Billy Shamirmir, what they did was the medical examiner and the D and the police department and others went back and started pulling all of the cases of women that had died of natural causes and then whose jewelry had been stolen. And then they began to follow Billy Shamirmir's records phone records. They were also able to recover some of the jewelry from these other women, and they know that he's the one that sold it uh, to those women, or sold it to um, gold exchange places and pawn shops and what have you, and they were able to link those other, all 18 cases directly to him through his phone records, through the jewelry that was recovered, and the fact that, you know, he was in the vicinity of all these uh, women who were who were uh, killed. And all in the Dallas, Texas area, right? Yeah, so there were cases in Collin County uh, and in Dallas, and there was a, a time when they were looking at a couple of cases in Fort Worth. He was also out of state for a little while, but I don't know that they have actually ever went and investigated any of those. It was very difficult for them to um, to even locate the 18 that they believed that he, uh, he killed because they had to put in a lot of work following the phone and paper trail. What do we know about him and his background? So we know that uh, that he immigrated here, and uh, his he was married at the time that uh, this happened, uh, and he was posing, according to police, as a healthcare worker. He was actually working either as a mechanic or healthcare worker, or posing as one um, at all these independent living facilities. And in some cases, he actually was by. Uh, um, a medical provider for uh, a couple of the women that actually he worked for. He would go to their houses and take care of them. And so that that's what he was doing at the time, police believe, when he was finding some of the victims. Uh, they allege that that's how he found some of his victims was, you know, he was loitering and they said stalking his victims at these independent living facilities and sometimes at their home or casing them at Walmart and or other places where he might see an elderly victim and then follow them and 
and they believe that he, for some time, had been casing them. Rebecca, talk to us about this trial and, and the verdict. It didn't take long for the jury to come back with a decision, but tell us what you, you witnessed and saw. It took less than 40 minutes, and um, it was really uh, fascinating because many people who listened to all of the evidence in this trial uh, thought that it wasn't going to take very long. But what was shocking is that he had been tried for this very same case back in November. But in November, they had a lone juror, one juror that would not budge, would not negotiate, would not even uh, talk to the other jurors because the jury sent out, the jury foreman sent out several notes saying that she refused to uh, to negotiate, refused to talk. Um, all 11 other jurors were uh, were wanting to find him guilty, and this particular witness, uh, a particular juror rather, held out for uh, a non-guilty verdict and hung the jury. We're not going to address the one juror. We are just disappointed that they could not come to the correct and right obvious. Yes. obvious. Yeah. Obviously, we're shocked. We're saddened. We're sick. Um, we extend our sympathies to Luthi Harris's family that they didn't get the justice that they deserved for the murder of their mom. Uh, and that was just very disappointing to the families that had been waiting for justice. They said for a long time. And honestly, it kind of took everybody by surprise of how uh, he was not convicted in the very in the first trial. So the DA promised that he would, in fact, retry the case. And it was very interesting because the district attorney himself, John Crusoe, sat through the second trial. He asked questions during the second trial. He addressed the jury. He gave closing arguments. He very much uh, led this case along with Glenn Fitzmartin, the prosecutor who had poured years into being prepared for this for this trial. And also, the DA actually helped pick the jury this time. Uh, and it started a little dramatically, honestly, because after they sat the jury, they were uh, picked on a Thursday. They were told to come back Monday morning. One of the jurors didn't show up. So they were getting ready to do opening statements. They could not find that juror. They had to send uh, court bailiffs and sheriff's deputies out to find him and call his work. And he'd gone on to work saying that, uh, you know, he he didn't realize or he forgot that he was supposed to be in, in trial. And uh, But at the end of the day, they actually kept him. They let him stay. And then um, they negotiated, and in this case, they they came up with a guilty verdict very rapidly. The evidence that was presented today is everything that we have had in our minds for all of these years. It, it wasn't really new to us, but it was seen today by the jurors who came back with a verdict based on the truth of what we have seen and known. It wasn't a death penalty case. Could that have been on the table? And if so, why wasn't it? Absolutely. The death penalty could have been on the table. And some of the families wanted the death penalty, but the DA uh, met with the families and he informed them at the time that he just was not going to uh, to seek the death penalty. He said, uh, and has said multiple times that this person will uh, die in prison anyway with a life sentence without parole, because if you're found guilty of capital murder, that's an automatic life sentence without parole, and then you don't have the lengthy appeals that are that come with death penalty cases uh, that could you know languish for years in the court. Uh, so he uh, decided not to seek the death penalty. Instead, he's going to try him on 
obviously tried him on this case and promised the families he would take a second case to trial. Um, and hopefully he said get a second life sentence. And there are some cases in Collin County uh, where they could also seek the death penalty, but I believe that Collin County has decided that they're probably not going to try him on any of those cases, that they're going to let this verdict speak for all of the other victims. One of the voices we've heard in this at press conferences and outside the courthouse is a well-known person in the Dallas area, Cliff Harris. It was his mother-in-law who was potentially a, a, a victim of Billy Shamirmir. Yes, Cliff Harris. He's a former Dallas Cowboy uh, Hall of Fame. Um, he played on the secondary along with Charlie Waters back in the glory days of Roger Staubach. Very well liked and respected. I actually interviewed him um, when this first broke, and we sat down for a couple of one-on-one interviews, and it just was very uh, shocking to him and his wife because they believed that she had died of natural causes like so many others. And then to learn a couple years later that your loved one was actually accused or uh, maybe had been um, murdered by Billy Shamir. Uh, that was very shocking to everyone that that this that this happened. And Cliff was very emotional at the end uh, in his press conference. That all the families stood together. I think there were eleven to twelve families represented um, at the trial that were there. They stood in solidarity, and he was very emotional, saying that justice had finally been served, and he thanked the uh, jury and thank the prosecutors and said that this was very hard on all of the families uh, that, you know, later found out that their loved ones didn't die peacefully like they thought, but they believe that the last face they saw, as he said, was a face of Billy Shamirmir, and they must have been so afraid uh, as they struggled uh, with him uh, when he was allegedly smug- uh, smothering them with a pillow. One of the things that the, the families are upset about is that their loved one's case may never get to go to trial. Um, and so they they were here, but their family stories didn't get to be told in the media or didn't weren't told in court. Uh, and so they were you know, very emotional, like feeling that they wish that the DA would try every single case, but you know, economically, that wasn't feasible for Dallas County. And while it's not just about money, it's also about justice. They felt like this verdict could stand for everyone else. And so the families, uh, in fact, it was interesting because Lou Harris's family didn't even come to court, uh, and neither did the other two cases that were presented, which was Mary Bartell and uh, Mary Barton. None of them were um, Mary Brooks. I'm sorry, Mary Brooks and um, Mary Bartell. Neither one of those uh, families either uh, was there in the courthouse. Uh, but the other family stood in solidarity, uh, and they wanted to be in the courtroom in the first trial. They weren't allowed to be in there because of COVID, uh, but then those COVID restrictions were lifted. So in the second trial, they got to be there, and they got to see Billy Shamir in person. And a couple of the family uh, members came out crying after they saw him for the first time. It was very emotional, but they also wanted the jury to see them, and they wanted Billy Shamir to see them. They wanted him to see what he had done uh, to them, uh, and they wanted the jury to see the impact that it had on all of these families. And uh, Billy Shamirmir, to the very end, maintained his innocence, uh, saying this was all just a bunch of circumstantial evidence. Uh, his attorneys tried to prove that 
there was no physical or forensic evidence that actually put him in the homes, and that is true. There wasn't, but there was so much circumstantial evidence, and at the end of the day, that's what convicted him, was it was just too much evidence of him having, you know, multiple victims' rings. His cell phone was pinging at their locations, uh, multiple victims that they saw him at the Walmart on video. So it just... They felt it, this, it's not coincidental. He's the one that did it, and the jury agreed uh, and found him uh, guilty of capital murder. Such tragedy that he's left in his wake, and it's hard to imagine the mindset of someone who, you know, could be involved in something like this. And, and all these victims who were elderly women and, and attacked by a, by a stranger. Well, and what's interesting is um, he actually did uh, a phone interview from the jail with uh, the Dallas Morning News. And in that interview, he basically told them, they're not going to find me guilty. He was very confident of himself, very smug, somewhat condescending in his um, interview uh, that, you know, they have the wrong guy. You know, he didn't do this. He might change his innocence. He did not take the stand, I'm assuming, at the advice of his uh, attorney. And how was he going to be able to... Uh, defend himself being at all these locations. And trust me, the prosecution wanted him to take the stand. They were ready for him to take the stand. And one person told me off the record uh, that was close to this case, I'm surprised he didn't take the stand because he has um, that somewhat narcissistic personality, they said. Uh, And so, but at the end, he didn't. Rebecca Lopez, senior criminal justice reporter at WFAA in Dallas. Always great to talk to you. Thanks for talking to us about this case. Oh, yeah. Thank you. Thanks for listening to The Daily Crime. We're here five days a week, Monday through Friday. And be sure to check out our weekly show, True Crime Chronicles, available every Monday, wherever you listen to podcasts. For Vault Studios, I'm Will Johnson.